Good morning. As we start today, I want to um, mention one thing that's in your bulletins by way of announcements. And if you're, uh, if you're new to Nineveh, all of our announcements are uh, there in your bulletin. You can check out some of the things that are coming up. Also, uh, online on our website, NinevehChristian.org, we have an uh, upcoming events page so you can get more information um, Sign up for things on there as well. Today, I just want to mention one thing. We have a couple of our uh, missionaries that the church supports are here today. I'm going to embarrass them. You two stand up. Where's Sam and Andy? I know they're on this. Uh, are they in here? Of course they're Are they? Where are they? Are they in the room or they have they? Oh, of course they just left the set up. So they're having, they didn't need to listen to me today. They're having a uh, lunch today. Um, at 12.30 in the fellowship hall, and this is, they, we support them as missionaries to Asia. They're going back uh, pretty soon to uh, begin uh, some new works there, and, and we're uh, asking your support and your prayers for them. So they're having a mission support lunch for those that support them already, but those that maybe are interested in that. 12.30 in the fellowship hall, and I encourage you to um, keep them in your prayers. All of our missionaries, they're on the back of your prayer list so you can do that, but I encourage you, if you're interested, to, to uh, come and join them today, and, and, and they can tell you what's going on in their mission work. We just sang a song that said, the same power that did all these things, the same th power that did all these supernatural things, rose Jesus himself from the grave, lives in us. And that is the promise of those who are in Christ. Last week, we saw that Paul says that those then who are in Christ, who are guided by the Spirit, are at war with the flesh. Paul says the Spirit and the flesh can have nothing to do with one another. They're in conflict in everything that they do. So that makes it difficult then for those who live, who, who desire to live in the Spirit, but are still living in the flesh. My mom and dad have been uh, 32 years now uh, the managers of Camp Calvary since I was a real small boy. Um, my dad, Alan, Terry's brother, and, and my, my mom, Vicki, they've been there at camp, and they've um, been managers of the camp for this. They're finishing their 32nd summer in just a couple of weeks. Um, my dad, at the beginning of this summer of camp, was asked by another church, one of the churches that supports camp, to be uh, a guest on their podcast. There's a podcast that a couple of the ministers at that church do, and my first thought was, my dad on a podcast. That just seemed funny to me, but, um, but, but I, I watched it, and he, he talked about his uh, experience at the camp. He talked about his call into ministry. It was a really good interview, but the, the, they started with a series of icebreaker questions to kind of get the thing rolling. And it was just basically some fun questions. And, and the two hosts, they tried to uh, guess what my dad's answers would be. And, and they got to one question that I realized, I don't really know what the answer to this question would be. The question was, they asked my dad, who is your favorite superhero? And, and I thought, you know, I don't know what dad's going to say, probably he doesn't like any superheroes. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what his answer is going to be because that wasn't something that, you know, I remember him 
liking. And, and so uh, he, his answer was Superman. And here's why he said, he said, uh, you know, there's a lot of superhero movies and a lot of stuff out today that there's just tons of them to choose from, but Superman was the original. When I was a kid, Superman was out. He was, you know, the, the big popular guy. You know, we didn't know a lot about all these other superheroes, but he said, I've always kind of liked Superman. And, and maybe you're not a big superhero fan yourself. Maybe you don't watch all the Marvel movies when they come out, or maybe you're not a big comic book nerd by any means, but we all probably know a little bit about Superman, right? He is kind of the standard of the superhero. He's faster than a speeding bullet. Okay, about four of you know what I'm talking about. Um, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, what's the next part? Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, no, it's Superman, right? We all know a little bit about Superman, but maybe there's something uh, that you don't know about him. There, there's something about the Superman universe that always has struck me as interesting um, that maybe you're not aware of. As early as 1958, so that's a long time ago, my dad would have been about three years old, um, they introduced, DC Comics introduced a character into the Superman universe who was built to be, he was created, and he was made to be the same as Superman in every way except one. And that way was, he was Superman's direct opposite. He was the opposite of Superman. Now, they don't look, his skin's a little bit of a paler color. They don't look a whole lot different. They wear the same outfit, except his S is backwards on his outfit. But in every other way, he's designed to be the opposite of Superman. His name is Bizarro, or Bizarro Superman. Uh, his, he lives in a, in, on a planet that is a square planet instead of our round planet, and it's called Hitrei. And if you look at that name, that is the word earth spelled backwards. So everything about this guy is the backward, the, the, the opposite. Literally everything he does and says is the opposite of Superman. It's weird to read a comic with this guy in it. He says goodbye when he enters a room or meets you. He says hello when he leaves. Everything is the opposite. I, and I, as I read through one of these comics where these particular characters meet and encounter one another, I realized there is a real difficulty that happens when these two guys are in the same room because it is really difficult to communicate with someone when everything is the opposite of what is normal for you. For example, if Superman said, I'm not going to hurt you, well, Bizarro would hear the opposite. I am going to harm you. In fact, when he says his name, when he introduces himself, Bizarro says, I am not Bizarro. Everything is, the, is opposite. It's really ridiculous to read. Um, everything is backwards. And so if one person says something to them that sounds normal, the other one is going to take it the complete opposite way. Last week, we talked about the longest recurring message, the, the longest recorded teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 
through 7. So turn to Matthew 5 this morning if you've got your Bibles. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we said that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is calling his followers to a standard that is backward to or contrary from the patterns of the world and the patterns in our sinful nature. In other words, everything is backwards. And sometimes that makes it difficult for Christians to understand how Christ has called us to live. Because we are still in bodies of flesh, and we do still live in a world that doesn't hold to these standards. And sometimes the Word of God stands in complete contrast and seems like the opposite of everything that is natural to us, or everything that is being taught in the world around us. That's what we're going to continue to talk about today, is the backwardness of the teachings of Jesus. This idea that Jesus has not called us to be the world, but that Jesus has called us to a standard and a pattern that is the opposite from the world. In the same way, Jesus has not called you to just do what feels natural to you, but Jesus has called you to do something that is supernatural, that can only be done through the power of the Spirit in you. So let's take a look then at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Last week we talked about the Beatitudes and we established this pattern that Jesus is setting, the standard that Jesus is setting for his church. Today we're going to try to cover some of the, the rest of the major themes that are in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's start with verses 13 through 16 of, of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Take a look at your notes as we uh, begin to fill in the blanks today on the back of your bulletin. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his followers to be salt and light. This is what we're going to talk about today. If, if we are not to live according to the standards of the world, who are we to be? Who is he calling us to be? This is what we're going to discover today. So look at your notes. He calls these, his believers to be salt and light, a people who stand out in a dark world. The church is not to blend in to the world. The church is to stand out. That's why Jesus calls the, the, the first two standards he, he mentions here in this passage, the first two uh, analogies Jesus draws are of salt and of light. Things that on their own really stand out. As salt draws out the flavor of food. Salt is a preservative. Light 
obviously stands out apart from the darkness. And that's what the church is meant to do. Take a look at verse 15 again. Neither do people light a lamp, Jesus says, and put it under a bowl. Or the old song used to say, hide it under a bushel. That's not what we're called to do. He says, instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Imagine some of you live way out in the country, and I, and I remember when we used to live way out on Timber Creek Road, I remember when we were little, just waiting for, I'd stare out the window and wait for the lights of the city at night to come by, right? Because that's when you knew you were close to something. Now imagine, imagine living in a world where there's no electricity, where there's only candlelight and lanterns, and imagine being out in one of these desolate places around in those days, and finally seeing the light of a city. And not just a city, but a city that's up on a hill. And imagine the way that that would stand out to the dark world around it. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling the church to do. Most of the church's problem in in our current day is that we want to do the opposite. We are trying our best to try to fit in with culture. There was this seeker movement. There was this idea that we try our best to try to be what, what people who want, are not coming to church will want to see when they're coming to church. And aesthetically, that's fine. If the idea is, let's give them things that are going to make them feel more comfortable, that's fine. But we can't adjust the Word of God to the world. Because the Word of God stands in direct parallel to the Word to the world. And it's the same for us. We cannot, in our lives, live and breathe and act and look like the world because Christ has called us to be something totally different from the world. He's called us to stand out. The second line in your notes is that these salt and light followers are a people who live to glorify God and not themselves. Motives are something that really come into question in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is not just talking about actions. He's not just talking in in these chapters about what we do. There's a lot of talk about that, but it's also about the motives of our hearts. And first and foremost is our lives are not to be lived to bring glory to me. Our lives are lived to bring glory to God and to Him alone. Look at what verse 16 says. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and glorify, not you, for what good things you've done, but glorify your Father in heaven. So in two things we see, and this is, I'm telling you today, this is toe-stepping material, right? This is the kind of, the Sermon on the Mount is the kind of stuff that every time I read it, I'm struck through the heart. Every time I read it, I'm convicted of the ways that my life doesn't necessarily match up because it's opposite stuff. And so the first two things is, church, if our lives are blending into the world, we are not living as Christ has called us to. And number two, if our lives are glorifying ourselves, 
pointing at ourselves, leading others to ourselves, then we are doing the opposite of what Christ has called us to do. Our lives are not to be lived to bring us glory. Jesus calls these salt and light people, these followers of him, these, those who are to be uh, set apart, those who are to stand out, those who are to bring him glory, he calls them to a standard, this is the next line in your notes, a standard that is backward from the patterns of the world. I've already said this many times. We're going to continue to say this because it's hard. It's hard when we read truths that seem to, to be contrary to what we think. But that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. That's exactly who Jesus is calling us to be. Jesus doesn't need more worldly, self-glorifying people. Jesus needs those who are going to stand out and point others to him. Look at what John, what Jesus says in John 15 verse 19. He says, if you belonged to the world, he's talking to his disciples, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Last week, we talked about persecution, and we talked about persecution really should be a no-brainer for the church that is living according to the standards of God, because the standards of God are opposite to the world. And if we are living true lives of backward from the world standards, then the world's not going to accept us as part of it. Jesus says, You're, you don't belong to the world. I have called you out of the world. And so if the church is not receiving some sort of persecution, then, then something's wrong here. Maybe we're aligning too closely to the standards of the world. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We looked at it last week, and I think it's a good reminder for us today. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the interesting part then. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's a question we hear over and over again as ministers in the ministry, how do I know what God's will is? Well, Paul says, you can't do it if you're conforming to the patterns of the world. You can't do it if you are living in lockstep with the world. You must, be, you must allow Christ to transform your minds and, and bring you into the pattern of his standard and not the world's standard. Then, Paul says, then you can know God's will. Then you can know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so today, in the time we have left, we're going to take a look at these backwards standards of Christ. We're going to take a look at the Sermon on the Mount and five identifying factors that he calls his church to. So if we're to be backwards, if these truths of Jesus uh, present themselves as opposites to what is natural to us, then the question is, according to Jesus, according to his standards, who are we called to be? And we're going to answer that with five identifying statements 
of the people of God today. They're in your notes. Number one, Jesus is calling us to be a people who are accountable for personal sin. We are a people who are to be accountable for personal sin. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us a few examples of, of this idea. Look at verses 21 through 24. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is calling us to be accountable for our own sin. Jesus is calling us to be accountable for personal sin. And he brings three of these backwards, three or four of these backwards truths in the fifth chapter uh, where Jesus says, you have heard it said. And Jesus is going to turn it around and say, but I am telling you this. One example is with murder. Jesus has said, uh, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And while Jesus is agreeing with that, he's saying, but the standard is far different than that because it's not just whether or not you've murdered someone. He said, if you have been angry with someone, with your brother or sister, if you have hated your brother or sister, if you have said, raka, which, you know, some of you I know are reading through that and saying, you know what, I'm at least good on that one because I have no idea what that word means, right? It's, it, we, we could go back and look at what it means. The truth is, it's, it, it's a term of abuse. It's a term of derision to a brother or sister. It, it's calling something, somebody something that's going to tear them down instead of build them up. Why? Why are these things sin? Because all of these things are the opposite of God's standards. All of these are the opposite of what Christ is calling us to. And living in them will separate us from Christ. But what do we like to do? Here's where your notes are going to take a turn. This is where we're going to look at the opposites today. For each of these five standards that Christ is calling to the church, we're going to also look at what is the world's pattern. What is the opposite? What is our natural self going to do? So if Christ calls the church to be accountable for personal sin, what's the world's pattern? The world's pattern is justifying sin through comparison. Justifying sin through comparison. Look again at another example of one of these, you've heard it was said, truths. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, 
cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The world, the way the world looks at sin, we live in a world that maybe the world just disregards sin. Sin is not a standard I hold to. But even in the church, here's a pattern of the world that when we look at sin, and this is creeping into the church because this is the opposite. This is the pattern of the world. The world, and even some of us in the church, want to look at sin and say, I don't do these big major sins, and therefore my life is right with God. But Jesus says, it's not just about the big sins. He turns three or four of these on his head in the Sermon of, uh, of the Mount. He, he turns them around. He says, yes, it's still wrong to murder. It's still wrong to commit adultery. But you've done the same thing as committing adultery if you've lusted after a woman in your heart. Lust is the same as adultery. And Jesus says, it's not just about the, the, your sins are smaller than, than these great big sins. Jesus says all sin separates us from God. All sin is contrary to God's will for our lives. And if sin on all levels is not thought of as contrary to what God desires, then it's no wonder that it's going to start seeping into the church. And the church does the same. The church, a lot of times rallies against, even holds uh, protests against these big ticket sins like homosexuality, like abortion, things that we agree according to the Word of God are sins. But if those are the only standards we're setting, as long as I'm not doing those couple of big things, now I think I'm living right with God, then we're missing the whole point. The whole point of sin and the whole point of the law and the whole point of these standards of God is not that if we're good enough, we can get there. It's that every one of us is not good enough to earn salvation on our own. Every one of us is opposite on our own from what Christ has called us to. The other way we compare is by looking at other people, right? We say, well, my sin, you know, is, is here, but that guy's sin. Well, that's really, that's really some big stuff. And so we think, as long as I'm not as bad as him or her, then, then what's the big deal, right? But that's not the standard. That's, that's human nature. That's the standards of the world. That's not the standards of God. Number two, uh, look, before we do, look at verses uh, one through five of Matthew seven. This is why Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge, others, you too will be judged. And in the measure, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why should we not judge others? Look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What benefit does it do to us or to the kingdom of God if all my time is spent preaching against other people's sin and none of my time is spent 
evaluating the sin and, and repenting of and turning away from the sin in my own life. It makes me a hypocrite. And Jesus says it's opposite to the standards that he's calling us to. Personal sin is what Jesus holds each of us accountable to. Number two, Jesus calls his people to be a people who will show mercy and not judgment. This goes along with what we've just talked about. Why would you judge other people, Jesus said? You're, you're going and trying to pick out the little speck of sawdust in your brother's eye because that's really offending you when all along you've got a two-by-four stuck into yours. There's, there's a couple of things that Jesus says throughout the Sermon on the Mount about judging, and there's a lot of things that Jesus says about the way we are to treat other people. We are to be people of mercy and not judgment. Take a look at Matthew 7, 1 through 2 again. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. He says, in the same way you judge others, so will you be judged. And with the measure you use, will it be measured to you? That's hard enough on its own. That's hard enough on its own that we're not to judge one another. Again, that's one of those innate we do it automatically. We look at others to justify ourselves. But what's harder in the Sermon on the Mount is not the fact that Jesus calls us not to judge. It's what he calls us to do instead. And that is to show mercy. Look at what Matthew 5, 38 through 42 says. This is another one of those you've heard it said passages. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat to him as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You see, it's one thing to say the church isn't supposed to judge. But it's a whole other standard to say the church's default toward the world and toward a people around us is to be mercy, is to be merciful and to show mercy. Because you know what? That's a difficult thing to do. But as we've said all along, if I look at these truths and they are backwards to me, if I look at these truths of God and say, this is not what I'm used to doing, then the adjustment is not on the Word of God. The adjustment is not, you know what, we need to make it sound more like what I'm used to. Instead, the adjustment is on me. That is repentance, is adjusting my life to fit the standards of God. And the standard here that Jesus calls us to is to go above and beyond. Not just let a person off the hook, but we're talking about big, top-shelf kind of mercy. He's saying if a guy strikes you on the, on the cheek, hits you in the face, not only don't retaliate, but turn around and let him do the other. Turn around and allow him to more if, if that's what he desires to do. This is one of those super contrary to the world. What's the pattern of the world instead? It's in your notes. This is why this is so hard, because the pattern of the world is repaying evil with evil. In our sinful nature, it makes a lot of sense, right? In the world, it makes a lot of sense. Someone does evil to you, 
You do evil to them. Look at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Here's another one. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that makes sense, right? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And here's that Difficult to attain standard of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Our world says, Be nice to everyone until they do something evil to you. Then you're allowed to be the biggest jerk you want, right? Then we're allowed to sue them in court. Then we're allowed to go after them. If they've gone after us, well, evil for evil. Eye for an eye. Jesus says that's not the standard. That's your sinful nature. That's the world. Look at 1 Peter 3 verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil, Peter says, or insult with insult. That's what we would do on our own. Instead, he says, on the contrary, you ready for some toe-stepping? Repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, it's not enough. You think it, it's, it's hard enough. It's, it's toe-stepping enough for me to hear, don't do evil to someone who does evil to you. But that's not even where he ends. He says, instead, repay evil with blessing. And church, that, that's contrary to everything in the world. That's contrary to everything that I would ever do on my own. But Jesus says, in doing this will you receive a blessing. Try it this week. You ready for a challenge? Try it this week. And you, and you know, the truth is, we're not, even talking, we're not even talking about the church struggling with people that have harmed us with evil in major ways. I'm talking about the way that I hear people deal with people over small issues. The way that the church wants to react to a waiter who gave them bad service. These aren't even big deal, big sin issues. Jesus says when someone does something wrong, when someone does something, then, then we repay them with blessing. No, it's not natural, but it's what he's called us to do. So I challenge you this week, go find somebody who, who big or small, has. wait for somebody to commit an offense against you, okay? Won't take long. Wait for somebody this week to commit some sort of offense. Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's that the, the, the waiter or waitress has spilled drinks on your brand new shoes when she's come by. And here's the challenge. Here's what I want you to do when that offense happens this week. Give them a blessing. When that waiter comes by and, and makes a stupid mistake and pours your drink all over your feet, double their tip. Some of you ladies are going to have to nudge your husbands, make sure they're awake after I said double their tip. 
make sure they're okay. Jesus says, don't, don't repay kind for kind. Don't repay what you've done to me for what I've done with what I'm doing to you. Show them a blessing. And see, do it this week. On something small, I don't care. Do it this week. And, and, and when someone offends you, when someone does something against you, go out of your way to bless them. What do you think is going to feel better? That you went out of your way? What do you think is going to be a, a better blessing to you? That you went out of your way to bless somebody? Or that you've been holding on to a grudge over something stupid that happened two, three weeks ago? Jesus does not call us to the patterns of the world. Look at Matthew 7, verse 12. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and prophets. We, we look around and we, we talk and we justify things that we do to other people because, well, they, we had a good reason to treat them like that. And yet last week, here's what we said. Last week, we cannot be called, we, we, we cannot live according to a standard that is not the standard that Christ set for us. And what is the example of Christ? Christ came to give his life for an entire world who had wronged him and offended him. Christ came to lay his very life down when he had never sinned for a world of people past, present, and future, who had sinned against him in, in so many ways, who were unworthy to have salvation, Christ showed such great mercy that it has got to be the pattern for our lives. Number three, who does Christ call us to be in the Sermon on the Mount? Number three is a people who are content with God's rewards. A people who are content with the rewards of God. Look at Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says the people that he's calling to his standard are not the people who are looking for the rewards of the world. It is the people who are content with a reward coming from God. So what's the pattern of the world? If that's how Jesus says to do it, how does the world say to do it? The world's pattern is doing good to be seen. The pattern of the world is that we do good things in order to be seen by others. Look again at Matthew 6, uh, this time verses 5 through 8. Jesus says, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go into the room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus says, we're not doing these things. The praying and fasting, He mentions, and giving to the needy, all these things are mentioned. But Jesus says, you're not doing them to be seen and honored by others. We're not doing them. And yes, those are all great, wonderful, righteous things to do. But again, what are our motives? Because acts of righteousness done with impure motives are still sin against God. Good things done with selfish motives are not honoring to God. I remember when I was in high school, uh, one of these see you at the pole moments, and we were out at the flagpole, Washington County High School is where I graduated, and we were standing there, and it was, I don't know, something terrible like, I don't know, 7 o'clock in the morning or something. I was not in a good mood already, and, and, and I was listening. We were there to pray, which again, a really good thing to do. But I remember hearing from a, a youth minister from one of these youth groups, one of the churches in the community, and I remember what he said, and it has stuck me with me all these years. He said, the reason we're here, he said, as we pray this morning, there's going to be cars driving all by this parking lot, and we're here so that they will know that we still believe in Jesus. And I thought, is that why we're praying? Is that why I pray to God so that other people will see me and think something good? So that other people will see me and give me an earthly reward. Well, at least there's still somebody that believes in truth. I'm praying because Jesus Christ came to give me life. I'm praying because I have a relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. I'm praying because Christ is in me and I'm communicating with him. I'm not praying whether or not somebody's seeing me. I'm not praying to get a, a pat on the back from somebody else. Those are the world standards. Those are what good, feels good in our flesh. Why would Christ call us to those standards? Why would Christ call us to live in the patterns of the world? Number four, who does Christ call us to be? A people who seek the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, it's another one of those foundational statements in in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Look at Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. This is a couple verses that we kind of turn around in the wrong way sometimes. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. This is something we look at and we think, we, we think all the wrong things because we think, well, all I've got to do is ask. All I have to do is knock. All I have to do is say what I want, and I've got it. But that's not what Christ is calling us to here. He's calling us to seek first the kingdom of God. And if that's our priority, if that is our desire, then yes, the things that we seek will be in line with the kingdom, and we will receive them if we ask. What's the world's pattern then? 
If that's what Christ has called us to do, then what is it that the world does? The pattern of the world is getting weighed down by earthly concerns. The pattern of the world is getting weighed down by earthly concerns. It's not that the world would look and say, you know what, we don't want to seek the kingdom of God. And this is where it's happening in the church. It's not that the church says the kingdom of God is unimportant to us. It is that the church is weighed down with so many other earthly things that it has no time or ability to see the kingdom of God and seek after those things. Because we're, we're tying ourselves down with the things that are not supposed to be important to us. Earthly concerns. He gives us two examples in the next passage. He gives us two examples in um, Matthew. The first is in Matthew 6, starting with verse 19. And here's what it is. The first example of this is storing up treasures on earth. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light then within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus then says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. But so many, so many in the church are trying to do both. So many in the church are trying to do both. And church, if you desire the kingdom of God, and you desire wealth and, and the treasures that you find in this earth, you will not. Jesus says you will never be able to do both. You will never be able to seek the kingdom of God if your concerns are for the things of the world. And I see so many in the church that are following after the patterns of the world that their goal is, is getting to a place where they can comfortably live. And their goal is then after that, let's accumulate some wealth and let's even Christian financial practices, you know, let, let's get everything in order and let's, let's live so that we can live comfortably. Did Jesus call us to live comfortably? Or did Jesus call us to seek his kingdom? And I'm not, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm in no way going to tell you how to manage your money or what you should do. But I am going to tell you from the word of God that if it is your priority, you're not a living according to the standards of God. That if wealth and possessions are our priority, you're not living according to God's standards. Jesus is clear that wealth and possessions and earthly treasures will weigh us down. And boy, do I wish I could stop there. But there's another thing that weighs us down. The next line in your bulletin, the next earthly concern that will keep us from who God wants us to be is storing up worry. You want a toe stepper this morning? This one's mine. 
This one is the one that gets me. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. By the way, this is incidentally right after this storing up treasures passage. Jesus isn't just moving on to another topic. Jesus is continuing the topic. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is your life not more important than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Look at verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know that life-shattering big ticket verse there that we've heard all our lives? You know this thing about seeking the kingdom of God? It comes when Jesus is talking about worrying. It comes in the middle of Jesus talking about, why are you worrying about things you can't control? Then look at verse 25, uh, 34 rather. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow has, will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, I get into this comparison trap again that we've talked about. And I look at, at the first passage there in Matthew 7 and I think, you know what? I'm not really a store up treasures on earth kind of a guy. I've never had a lot of money. We've been a ministry family all my life. We've never been rich. That's never been an issue. My wife and I don't own a home. We're ready to just... You know, if, if God says, go do something else, we want to be ready. We're not weighing ourselves down with possessions. And then Jesus says, guess what? You can also weigh yourself down with worry. And that's me. That's my sinful nature. Is that, that I, I worry about so many things that are not in my control. And in doing so, I'm trying to gain control of my life. I'm, I'm worrying about things that may never happen. I'm having conversations in my head with people that, that trying to, 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 to go over things that they never materialize. Those ne things never happen. I'm worrying over things that have been said. I'm worrying over things that, that I have no control over. And Jesus is clear. That will weigh you down and keep you from the standards of God. Allowing your life to be burdened either by riches and things that, that you're trying to accumulate or by worries and things that you cannot control. Church, they are both against the will of God. And they are both a way of weighing ourselves down so that we don't seek after the kingdom of God. Jesus says instead, seek first his kingdom his righteousness. And he'll take care of the things you need. He'll take care of the, the money that you need to get through. He'll take care of the things that you're worrying about. 
Seek his kingdom first. We're going to close with one more today. Who is Jesus calling us to be? The last one is this. A people who put God's word into practice. We've read a lot in the last two weeks. For two sermons, we've read a whole lot of these four chapters, three chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. But that's not really enough. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does what? Who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and and in your name perform many miracles? And then Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What is it that these people did that that made them evildoers? They said, "We're, we're prophesying in your name. We're driving out demons in your name. But Jesus says what? Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And church, I will say it again. You cannot know the will of God and still be conformed to the patterns of the world. Otherwise, it is... It is trying to produce fruit. Otherwise, it is trying to do good things that we think God would want us to do. And Jesus says that's empty. Instead of connecting to the vine and bearing fruit, which is the pattern, I often, uh, I often compare it to somebody, instead of growing a, a tree that produces bananas, instead we take bananas and staple them onto a tree and try to make that a banana tree. That's not the way that it works. That's doing good works because we think that's what God wants us to do. Instead, the standard is we know God because we're in relationship with God, because we're not conforming to the world, and He produces good through us. God desires, Christ is calling a people who will put God's Word into practice. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. What's the difference between those two guys? What's the difference between the guy who built his house on the sand and probably died, and the guy who built his house on a rock and had a good, strong foundation to live in? I'm going to ask Chad and the band to come out this morning. Think about that question. What is the difference in those two men? Is it one knew the Word of God and one didn't? Nope. Nope. For for all we know, they both could have known God's Word. It was that one of them put into practice the Word of God in his life. It's not that he knew 
the word is that he lived the word. And church, there's a difference. There's a major difference. Today, as we close, you've got one last um, thing on your notes. And last week we said, we, we've said all this time that if I look at the Word of God, if I look at a standard of God that looks backwards to me, it's because my life has to adjust to the standards of God. It's not that I try to adjust God's Word to fit my life. So all of a sudden there needs to be adjustments in my life. So look at that line. On one side is the standards of God. And on the other side is my life. And where I would be on my own apart from Christ. You know why this is so hard? Because they are opposites. Because if coming to Christ was easy, if coming to Christ just allowed us to just live the way we always live, to live according to our sinful nature, to live just in step with the world, well, that'd be a breeze. But that's not, that's not repentance. That's not eternal life. That's not salvation. That's not any of the things that Christ has called us to. Christ has called us not to conform. Christ has called us to live lives that are separate and opposite and backwards and bizarro from the world. So today, as we have a time of invitation, that is our time of reflection. That is our time of evaluation. How close are you living to the standards of God? Because church, I got to repent every day. I've got to give it to him every day because if I wake up the next day on my own, I'm going to do it again. If I wake up the next day on my own, I'm going to go back to my default. I'm going to go back to what I think is right. But it's the opposite of what Christ has called us to. And so today, look. Look at the standards of God. Don't run from them. Look at them and then compare your life and then move in the direction that God is calling you to move. As we have an invitation today, Terry is going to come up front. If the Spirit is calling you today, move toward the Spirit. Move toward Him. The invitation is open.